If I've not got to meet you yet, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and um, it's, it's my honor to um, get to introduce um, or reintroduce Victor and pray for him in a moment, um, and him sharing kind of the same role that I share in our church that he is going to um, take in um, the new church plant in the check. So let me pray for Victor, and then I'll turn it over to him. Father, I'm, I'm so thankful for my brother Victor um, today coming here and um, and in his in his second language, um, opening your word and, and preaching. It's something that I could never do in another country in, a, in my second language and preach, preach the word like Victor does. And so uh, I'm thankful for him. Um, I pray for him now, and I, I pray as we always do that we, we want to put ourselves under the word this morning, uh, trusting and believing that these are your words. These are, it's your very revelation of yourself to us. And so when we read it, when we, we study it, we hear about it, I pray that we would take it seriously and that we would allow the word to transform us today. And Father, be with Victor as he preaches. I pray that your spirit would move today and challenge us this morning. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, as Jay said a couple of minutes ago, uh, my name is Victor. Uh, I work as assistant pastor in our home church in the Czech Republic. Uh, right now, I'm also studying German language and literature and also theology. So if you want to practice some German with me afterwards, feel free to come to me and just hang out with me. Uh, I'm also leading a church planting team uh, in our church, and we want to plant a new church next year by the end of summer. And so we're excited to see how God will be working in Czech, and we're just really happy about the partnership that he's creating here for the gospel with Providence Road. And I really want to say, guys, that for the couple last days that we've been here, we've been here since uh, Wednesday, uh, we've been really encouraged to get to know many of you. Uh, it just feels that it's like... Here is the same desire to make Jesus known and to make Jesus famous. And it just, we were like so refreshed to see that you share the same vision that we have and that there is the same desire and focus on community and living out our faith. And it's been just so encouraging for us. And so I just want to pray before we jump into the sermon. And yeah, then we'll go ahead. Yeah, Father, I just want to thank you for Providence Road. Thank you that you created this relationship. Thank you for uh, everybody who is a believer here that you give them, gave them faith and gave them repentance and that you also keep them in faith every day. And I just want to pray, Father, that you would speak to us right now through your Holy Spirit and through your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our minds, that he would touch our hearts and move our wills so that we might be obedient to your word and so that we might experience this morning Christ's joy and the freedom that comes from knowing him. Amen. Okay, so I'm not going to be preaching today about mission, but we will look at something that's closely connected, and that's sometimes, for many people, the biggest reason why they reject Christianity altogether. And so I want to kick us off with a question. What do you think, guys, turns people off the most from Christianity? Why do you think people reject Christianity the most? What's the reason? There might be many different answers to these questions, 
But in my experience, I've found that people don't reject Christianity because there wouldn't be enough evidence or because it just sounds too crazy or too hard or too restrictive or whatever. But mostly why people don't even consider Christianity for a while, the reason is that Christians around them are often judgmental and unloving towards people who are different from them. And we will be looking today at Luke chapter 12, the first 12 verses, where Jesus warns his disciples about hypocrisy. And in the Gospels, we see that Jesus was very patient with messy people. He was very kind to sexual sinners. He was very kind to thieves, drunkards, etc. But he was really hard on religious people who were judgmental and unloving, who claimed they know God and his grace but at the same time were proud and self-righteous and therefore hypocrites. And so the question for us today will be this. How not to be a hypocrite? How not to be a hypocrite? And we'll be looking at the first 12 verses uh, where Jesus continues his teaching from the end of chapter 11 where he was criticizing the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were religious teachers who were known for their exemplary lives. They followed all the rules, they kept the traditions, they obeyed the rituals, but Jesus said that all their religion was empty. They had the right confession, the right opinions, and the right clothes, but their heart was away from the Lord. They really cared about how they looked before other people, but they were neglecting what was inside their hearts. And Jesus told them some nasty stuff. For example, he told them that they were like whitewashed tombs that were beautiful and white on the outside, but inside were ugly, like stinking dead bodies. And that's not necessarily flattering, isn't it? And Jesus today isn't going to flatter us either, because he's about to tell us that we're stinking too. Hypocrisy is not just some problem out there, Hypocrites were not only the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the weird people in the Bible. We are hypocrites. We are the ones who look good on the outside, but inside we are often filled with evil, with selfishness, and all kinds of impurity. And I want today's sermon to convict us. I want it today to be like a sharp knife that's going to cut off our masks, our hypocrisies and pretenses, but at the same time, I want us not only to be convicted or feel bad. I want us above all to see today, this morning, the joy that we have in Christ that gives us the freedom not to be hypocrites. So that's the question. How not to be a hypocrite? And the first thing we'll see from today's text is this. Don't think that hypocrisy doesn't concern you. Verse 1 says this. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. I have four points today, and this will be my first one. Hypocrisy is contagious. Hypocrisy is contagious. The scene of this text is following. 
Jesus just came out of one house of one Pharisee where he was uh, having dinner and criticizing them. And the Pharisees really didn't like it. They were pestering him with tricky questions. And as Jesus walked outside his house, there gathered a huge crowd of people. It says that thousands of people were there. Perhaps some of you were yesterday at the game, and so imagine a football stadium of people standing there just to hear what Jesus has to say. That's probably how the first century football game looked like. Uh, and so the crowds were there, the Pharisees were there, his disciples were there also. And Jesus, seeing and hearing all these people, turns to his disciples and warns them against hypocrisy. He gives them a warning and tells them, be on guard against hypocrisy. And he uses the image of leaven to tell them that they're not immune to it. In the same way as we are not immune to it. The metaphor would have been more obvious then and now because people would make their own bread and everyone would be familiar with the way how a little yeast slowly transforms a large lump of dough. And so the image of leaven speaks of a contagion that is slow and constant. In this case, the leaven is hypocrisy. We might be more familiar with mold or rotten fruit. Let's say uh, you buy some strawberries and you want to store them home in the fridge. Um, you bought a package of fresh strawberries and you enjoy some of them for breakfast. But then you put them in the fridge and you leave them there couple days, and someday you notice that there is in the package one strawberry covered in wild mold. It's just rotten, but because you really don't want to ruin your day and by having to deal with rotten fruit, you just leave it there and you tell yourself that you'll deal with it later in the day. And a couple days after that, you go to the fridge again and you see the package of strawberries and you notice that there is not just one strawberry covered in white but that the mold has spread almost everywhere in the package and almost the whole package of strawberries is rotten. Then you finally overcome yourself and decide to throw away all the rotten fruit and save uh, what's left. Uh, yes, I just described to you how I store strawberries at home. But Jesus says, so it is with hypocrisy. If left alone in the dark, it slowly spreads everywhere. Just a small pinch of yeast, and it will spread until it puffs up a large lump of dough. So a small amount of hypocrisy tolerated in our lives will spread until it contaminates us totally. It secretly poisons the whole being from the inside. And it's just so easy to get infected when we see hypocrisy around us. Especially where there's a lot of people where you can easily hide. That's why Jesus says that when he sees the crowds. That's why we need to hear that, especially in the church where it's sometimes so easy to hide. So I've got a question for you. Would you say about yourself you're a hypocrite? And here's a test. What do you do with your sin? Do you hide it? Or do you confess it? Do you keep telling yourself that your sin is your personal problem that you don't have to discuss with anybody? Do you think other people don't have to know what you're struggling with or that it's your burden that you're somehow going to deal with on your own?
the image of Levan here tells us here that the evil you do alone and that you leave in the dark will keep on growing until it will spread even on the people you love. You think it's not related to them and that you get to hide it, but soon it will affect everybody. Hypocrisy is contagious. Honestly, we all want to look good before others. And so we hide our flaws and sins. That's going to be my second point. Hypocrites hide their evil. Hypocrites hide their evil. Jesus is saying next in verse 12, 2 to 3, there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetop. Right after Jesus warns us here of hypocrisy, he tells his disciples that the things done and spoken in the dark will be brought to light. And so the, his point behind all of this is that hypocrites are concealing their evil. They hide their flaws from others. They never tell anyone what they're struggling with. They never admit their sin. Are you hiding your sin from others? Do you talk about your sin or do you hide it? Do you always put only your best foot forward so that you're always the hero? Do you let people see only your stars but never your scars? Do they see your heights but never your depths? Jesus is saying that all our hypocrisies will be revealed. All the most private things we do and say in the dark will come to light in some way. We might fool others. We might cover our evil from their eyes, but we can never fool God. Granville Kleiser wrote in a poem, you can fool the hapless public. You can be a subtle fraud. You can hide your little meanness, but you can fool God. You can magnify your talent. You can hear the world applaud. You can boast yourself somebody, but you can't fool God. God's always watching, and he will bring our sin to light. And so I want you to think about this for a while. What is it that you're hiding? It might be a sin or some burden that you really don't want to share with others or something that you just really don't want others to know about you. And this thing that you're hiding will sometimes inevitably come to light. That's what Jesus is saying. And how will it come to light? Biblically, there are two answers to this question. Either it will come to light through God's judgment or discipline, or it will come to light through confession. If we don't want to be hypocrites, we must confess our sins. And it's something we really, really don't like to do. Sometimes we have so many reasons and fears why we're not confessing our sins. We keep telling ourselves, I'm afraid if I told anyone, they would just stop liking me. I don't want anyone to think bad things about myself. I don't want anyone to see that I'm not as good as I show myself to be. I'm afraid I'm the only one 
struggling with this. When was the last time you really confessed your sins to another? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran German pastor before World War II. He was preaching against the Nazis, and he was also part of a resistance group that tried to assassinate Hitler. And because of that, he was executed in the end. He was hanged in a concentration camp. And he sealed what he preached with his life, because he really meant it. And listen to what he said to say about confessing our sins. It's an excerpt from a book called Life Together. And Bonhoeffer asks this question. Listen, guys. Why is it that it is often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother? God is holy and sinless. He is the just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. But a brother is just as sinful as we are. He knows from his own experience the dark night of secret sin. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to the holy God? But if we do, if we find it easier to go to God than to our brother, we must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God. Whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves forgiveness. And is not the reason perhaps for our countless relapses and the feebleness of our Christian obedience to be found precisely in the fact that we are living on self-forgiveness and not on a real forgiveness. Bonhoeffer says here that if we confess our sins only to God and never to our brothers or sisters, we just deceive ourselves. We think we are confessing our sins to God, but in reality we are only hiding them from others. And so they still remain in the dark. But as Bonhoeffer says later, but since the sin must come to light sometime, it is better that it happens today between me and my brother rather than on the last day in the piercing light of the final judgment. It is a mercy that we can confess our sins to a brother. God wants us to confess our sins to him through other believers. This doesn't mean that confessing our sins to God in prayer doesn't have a place in our Christian life. It does. But the point is this, listen to me. If you find it easier to confess your sins to God rather than to your brothers and sisters, if you hardly ever confess your sins and get specific about them, you're just deceiving yourself. The way from darkness into light leads through the brother. And I want you now to think of a godly person from this church that you respect, that you admire. I want you to imagine their face and their walk with God, their relationship with God. Think of them for a minute. This is the person God gave you to confess your sins to. This is the person God has given you because through them you can experience His forgiving love, His presence when you confess your sins. That's the person you can approach with confession because this person knows that they're no better than anyone else because their own guilt or sins led Jesus to the cross. 
I want you to stop hiding and encourage you to approach this person and confess the sins that you've never really confessed to anybody. Garrett Kell writes in an article, if you don't take off the mask of hypocrisy and breathe the air of honesty, your soul will shrivel. The deception grows darker. You will begin to believe you are safe in your sin. Jesus died for our hypocrisies and rose to empower us to put them away. Because of Jesus, you don't have to hide anymore. The gospel makes us vulnerable. It gives us the freedom to acknowledge that we are still sinners. Because our standing before God is not based on our perfection, but on Jesus' sacrifice for us. People don't have to see that we are perfect. They have to see that Jesus is perfect. And that's what happens when we confess our sins. And that's why a confession is a free thing. And maybe it's time for you to repent, to stop building walls around yourself and step into the light and breathe the air of honesty. So don't be a hypocrite. Stop hiding and confess your sins. Next, we'll see the reason why we are often hypocrites. My third point is this. Hypocrites fear people and doubt God's love for them. Hypocrites fear people and doubt God's love for them. We'll see in the text that hypocrites are fearful and insecure people who are afraid of people instead of God and who feel uncertain about God's love for them. That's what we see in verses 4 to 7. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus says here that if we are afraid of people, we have a misplaced fear. He encourages disciples not to fear people who can kill the body but cannot hurt the soul. And he meant the hypocrites, he meant the Pharisees. They were concerned only with the body. They cared so much about their lives here and now, their looks, their image. But they didn't care about their souls. And Jesus tells them, don't be like them. Don't be like the people who only fear what might happen to them in this life. Eternal life is real. And we should fear the one who is able to kill both the body and the soul in hell. I want to illustrate this on a story. It's about a Christian martyr from the first century called Polycarp. And Polycarp was the disciple of the Apostle John. He was the pastor of a church in the city of Smyrna. And he was murdered at the age of 86. Let me tell you the story. It was 155 AD. And in the city of Smyrna, there was the time of the public games. During those games, the enemies of the Roman Empire were tortured to death. And the people of Smyrna really didn't like how Christianity was spreading and becoming popular. 
And so they persuaded a city official to bring Polycarp to the arena to torture him to death. The crowds got excited and they decided to search for him. And once they found him, Polycarp didn't resist them. He even showed hospitality to the soldiers so that they didn't understand why the people wanted this old and calm man dead so much. They brought Polycarp to the arena and the city official gave him a choice. Curse Christ, sacrifice to Caesar, and save your grave hair, old man. Otherwise, you will be killed. And Polycarp answered him, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The official threatened him to burn him at the stake. But Polycarp replied, You threaten me with fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come, and an everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come and do what you will. And so the official commanded to bind Polycarp at the stake and the light, the fire. But the fire couldn't flare up and kill Polycarp, so the soldiers were forced to pierce him with a spear, and that's how Polycarp died for Christ. This is a story of a first-century pastor from Smyrna. It's a story of a Christian who didn't deny Christ even under the pressure from other people. He didn't compromise his faith so as to become a hypocrite and worship Caesar. And what was the reason? He was more afraid of God than of people. He was more afraid of what could happen to him in the afterlife were he to deny Jesus. And you might ask yourself right now, is this really how we should fear God? As someone who sends people to hell? Isn't God of the Bible the God of love and forgiveness who doesn't punish people in hell? Who doesn't punish people he loves? And this is an idea of God that's really popular today. But where does such a sentimental idea of God come from? Certainly not from the Bible. And certainly not from Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who tells us here twice, Fear God who has the authority to throw you to hell. Yes, I tell you, this is the one to fear. We must fear God this way. Otherwise, we'll be enslaved by the fear of man. We will care more about what other people will think of us. We will be people pleasers. We will be so concerned with our self-esteem. We'll have constant fear of being exposed. We'll be telling lies to make ourselves look good. And the answer to the fear of man is fear of God. That's why Jesus warns us here about hell. He cares for us too much not to tell us. We must have the right fear, because God hates it when we fear people more than him. But Jesus gives us here not only a warning, but also an encouragement. I want you to notice in the text how he affirms them when he speaks to them about hell. He calls them friends. Have you ever noticed that? He calls them friends. And after that, he mentions hell. He goes on to tell them that they are precious to God and illustrates that reality on the sparrows. Have you ever noticed that connection? He calls them friends and assures them of God's love. 
because they have nothing to fear besides God. They must not be afraid of God only as someone who has the authority to judge, but also as the one who has the authority to save. Christians don't have to hide away from God in terror, because in Christ, God became our loving Father who takes care of us. And because of Jesus, we can confidently approach God. Tim Keller wrote an article called The Importance of Hell, where he gives four reasons why the doctrine of hell is important for us. And one of the reasons he gives is that the doctrine of hell is the only way to know how much Jesus loved us and how much he actually did for us on the cross. Have you heard that? The doctrine of hell is the only way to know how much Jesus loved us and how much he actually did for us on the cross. And Keller's argument is that Jesus' suffering on the cross wasn't mainly physical. His body was being destroyed in the worst possible way, but Keller says that was a flea bite compared to what was happening to his soul. When he cried out that his God had forsaken him, he was experiencing hell itself. Because on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by the Father. And that's what hell is about. When God casts us out from his presence. And that's what Jesus experienced for our sake. Jesus took our punishment we deserved. So I want to ask you, how does the fear of God look like in your life? Are you afraid of God as a vengeful father who's going to punish you if you mess up? Or do you fear God as a kind father who took care for you in Jesus, who took the punishment you deserved on himself so that you have nothing to fear even though he has the right to throw you into hell? We know God has the right to do so. But we don't have to be afraid of him because in Jesus, he calls us friends. That's why he tells them the illustration with sparrows. It's as if he was saying, look at birds. I mean, who cares about birds? No one cares about birds. You'll probably eat some chicken today for lunch and not even think about it. <laughs> but God cares of every single one of them. There is not a single bird that would not die were it not God's will. That's how much he cares about his creation that you can buy for $5. How much more does God care for you if he bought you with the infinitely precious blood of his son? How much does he care for you if he gave up his only son as a sacrifice for you to bring, him back, bring you back to himself? Jesus is the ultimate proof of God's love for us. And it's the ultimate act of hypocrisy to doubt God's love when we see Jesus hanging on the cross. That's why the text calls us to look again to Jesus. We need a big picture of God, of his love and holiness and wrath. Yes, God is our loving Father, but he still remains a consuming fire. He is not our buddy to be goofing around with. So don't you want to be a hypocrite? Fear God more than men and trust his love for you.
How are you doing, guys? Are you still with me? We're almost at the end, so keep up with me for a couple more minutes. And the last thing Jesus speaks about is denial of God, which is the result of hypocrisy if we don't deal with it in our lives. And my final point is this. Hypocrites prefer people over Jesus. Hypocrites prefer people over Jesus. Jesus says in verse 8, And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Jesus wraps up his teaching by promising persecution and the Holy Spirit's aid. He again gives us, peep, gives us a warning and encouragement. And he's saying here that the pressures from people will increase and that the disciples will be tempted to deny him. And he's telling them that whoever denies him before people will be denied before God. So what does this mean? How can we deny Christ? Remember that Jesus is addressing here mainly his disciples. But there were also the tens of thousands of people and crowds listening to Jesus and what he has to say. And Jesus is saying that here so that everybody, his disciples and also the crowds, would get the chance to listen to him and decide what, what to do with Jesus. And Jesus tells them, if you deny me, God will deny you. Whoever denies me before people will be denied before the angels of God. And it means this. How you respond to Jesus will determine where you will spend the eternity. How you respond to Jesus will determine where you will spend the eternity. When Jesus is talking here about denying him or blaspheming the Holy Spirit, he doesn't mean a one-time act that we can commit and never be forgiven. We can repent. The ultimate denial is not when we don't tell our colleagues or classmates that we are Christians. The ultimate denial or the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when we deny Christ and the truth about him. Because to deny Christ is to deny God himself. There are people who have seen Jesus speak, who have seen him perform miracles, healings, and casting out demons. And Jesus is saying all of this is Holy Spirit's testimony to who God, who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, if you reject that, there's no way you can be saved. Because you're blaspheming God and making him a liar. And if that's your final rejection of the truth, you can't be saved. And Jesus is saying that so that we can repent. The only people who will not be forgiven are those who don't turn to Jesus for forgiveness and confess him before people as their Lord and Savior. And so there's no place for Christians to be living a double life. We must publicly live out our faith. We must confess Christ before others. So does your life testify about Jesus?
Does your private life match up with your public life? Do other people see that Jesus is the most precious thing in your life? People and circumstances will force us to deny Christ. We'll probably not be burned at the stake, but every day we're getting into situations where we can compromise our faith and step away from our convictions. We're tempted to fear people more than God. We're tempted to get people's approval more than God's approval. And that's why you have to face Jesus' words and make a decision. Will you publicly confess Christ and be accepted before God? Or will you deny Christ and rather gain the approval of people? Don't you want to be a hypocrite? Confess Christ publicly. And sometimes that's going to be hard. And that's why Jesus ends with a promise and will end with that. He's saying in verses 11 to 12, Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about what you should defend, how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Jesus says you will be tempted. People will say bad things about you. They will treat you badly. And you'll be afraid that you're not going to make it. But Jesus says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will help you when you will need it the most. At that very hour, he promises that he will give us the right words. Jesus takes here the pressure off of us and promises us that the Holy Spirit will keep us. That's what his job is. We have to persevere till the end, but God will make that happen. And this promise is in the Bible all over the place. Paul says in Philippians, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Or God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I will make a permanent covenant with you. I will never turn away from doing good to you. And I will put fear of me in your hearts so that you will never again turn away from me. The Holy Spirit will make that happen. He will convict us of our sin and help us bring it to the light. He will give us the fear of God so that we might not deny him. He will give us the right words to confess Christ. That's the joyful news we have this morning. Yes, we struggle a lot of times. We're oftentimes we're losers, we're hypocrites, we're people pleasers and care more about others than about God. But we can repent and approach him because Jesus took our punishment we deserved. And if your response to this text is repentance and not more hypocrisy, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit will be with you till the end and he will be gracious to you for all eternity. Don't be afraid because Jesus promised to never leave you and sealed this with his death and resurrection. What a joyful news that is for us today, isn't it? Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this hard text and we want to ask you for forgiveness that we are so often hypocrites. 
that we so often don't live accordingly to what we say we believe. Please forgive us of this, of our judgments of others, of our unloving attitude towards people so much. And please give us new desires to love people, to not be hypocritical anymore. Give us the strength and the courage to confess our sins and to walk together in life with our brothers and sisters. We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us all these affections, that he would convict us and would help us fear you more than others and live out what we say we believe. Thank you, Father, and please let your Holy Spirit make all of these things happen and let us love you more and be obedient to you more. Amen.